welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. with you today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, if you'd like to go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 8. Uh, not very long ago, um, up at school, they brought a police dog to do some uh, demonstrations for our kids. Now, if you've never been around a law enforcement canine, these dogs are amazing at the things that they can do. Uh, this particular one had been trained in two things. The first thing he had been trained in was detecting drugs. And so part of what they wanted to show our kids was don't bring drugs to school we bring this dog, he's going to find it. And they took a little sticky note that had been in a jar with marijuana, not actual marijuana, just a sticky note that had been in contact with it and stuck it out in the gym. And this dog found it like that. But that wasn't my favorite part of the day. This dog was also what I think we should call a fur missile. This is the dog that they release and he chases down the bad guy when he's running. And so they gave a demonstration. They put a big pad on one of the officer's arm and they gave a demonstration of how they could command this dog to attack and he would grab the arm and wrestle the person to the ground to be arrested. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this. Before I knew any of that, I was sitting around with the officers in the foyer of the school. And I knew one of them, and we were just kind of talking. And one of them said, you want to show him what this dog can do? And then the other one goes, no, I don't think so. And then he looks at me and goes, actually, yes. This is probably the point where I should tell you that I work with his wife, and I had relentlessly bullied her for several years with pranks. So he goes, yeah, let's show him. And so they handed me this toy, and this dog's just sitting over here, just like your normal house dog-looking dog. He's sitting there panting. He's getting petted and stuff like that. And they handed me this toy, and it was like a pillow with like ropes around it or something like that. And I noticed he noticed that I had this, and he's kind of looking at me like, what are you doing with my toy? But the second that officer gave him a command, that dog came to attention, and it got scary really, really quick. This dog went into laser mode. Now, with all 150 pounds of me of muscle that I had at that time, I thought, I'm going to show him I'm stronger than this dog. So I'm wrapping my hands around this thing. I'm like, you come get it. And he starts moving towards me slowly, just staring at that thing. And he gets about this far from me, and he just stops. And he's just poised, just, just pure muscle. And the officer gives him this command, and that dog grabbed that pillow and nearly pulled me out of the chair as I was trying to hold it. It was only a split second before they gave another command, and he stopped. And he just kind of looked at the thing. And I was like, please please take the toy away. I don't, I don't want it anymore. I don't need this anymore. Uh, I have never seen a creature that, that was that dedicated to being obedient. And the reason he was that obedient is he had been trained through practice of knowing his handler and trusting his handler. I can tell you, I, I talked to that dog. He didn't listen to me. He didn't care who I was. But when his handler gave him a command, he knew exactly what to do and when to do it. See, knowing and trusting equals obedience. And I find that that's true of my relationship and your relationship with Jesus Christ, is that when we truly come to know who Jesus is and we develop a trust with him through experience, the, the fruit of that will be that we will begin to be obedient to him, that we begin to know God's voice and obey his commands. And this is actually a key part of being a believer, is that we know God, we trust God, and we obey God in that. Jesus said this, he said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. 
In another place he said, those who know and keep my commandments, it is him who loves me. See, knowing God's voice and obeying his commandments identifies you as a believer. Now, we started a series last week called Shine Bright, and, and, and the whole point of this series is how do we share the gospel with the world? How do we let people know who Jesus is? And, and what we've discovered through the teachings of Jesus is that it's not going to start with us vocally telling people of Jesus. Before we can vocally tell people about Jesus, they had better see Christ in our life if we want that message to meet anything. So it's our actions that are going to be what identifies us to others as different and gives us the ability to tell people about Jesus. And what our actions had better say is that Jesus is my Savior, but Jesus is also my Lord. See, we should live our life in a way that it expresses there is something bigger than me governing me. This is not about what I think, what I want, what I desire. My life is dictated by what God wants, God dictates, and God desires. And he communicates those things to us primarily in two ways. Uh, the first way is through his word. I hope everybody has a copy of the Bible if not, get a phone app. I will buy you one if you need one. God uses this book and it is absolutely miraculous in the way that he trains us and moves in us through the word of God when we will open it and allow it to transform us. Secondly, the leading of the Holy Spirit. When, when we become a Christian, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit is within us. And at different times, God will move us in certain ways and he will train us and teach us in certain ways. Between these two things, between God's Holy Word and his Holy Spirit, we will find times when there's something that I want to do that God will restrain me from. God will say, no, that's, that's not what my believers do. You're, you're not to do that. And conversely, the exact same thing will happen on the other way. There's something that I don't want to do, but His Word and His Holy Spirit will move me and push me to do something that I don't want to do. We're going to see an example of obedience to God and the leading of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. This starts with a story of a man named Philip. And, and Philip just kind of appears in the Bible for just a few chapters here between Acts 6 and 8. Here, here's what we know about Philip so far. Um, in Acts chapter 6, he's identified as one of the first deacons alongside uh, Stephen, who many of you know, the first Christian martyr. He's identified as one of those deacons. When there is persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem, the church is spread out all across Israel. And as they go out, they are witnessing and proclaiming Christ. Philip is a part of that being spread out. And he ends up in a place called Samaria, witnessing and telling about uh, Jesus Christ in that. He is a picture of obedience. Now, I want you to listen to this event in Philip's life. Start with me in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in a chariot reading Isaiah. That's what we would say is the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou? what thou readest. Hold your Bibles up and we're going to come back to that. So here's what we have with Philip. Philip has a relationship with Christ and he gets a hard instruction. The instruction is simply go to the desert. 
No telling him why. No telling him what he's doing. He's just told, get up and go to the desert. We, we want to, or God wants to see this change. Now, when you think about the desert, I like visiting the desert. I don't want to go to the desert with no reason. There's a lot of uncertainty in the desert. It's hot. It's dry. It's discomfort. And when you don't know why you're going, that's hard. So Philip is called to do this, this task of obedience without knowing why. The second part that's hard about this is Philip has been being very successful for God where he's at. If you'll go back in this, this is in chapter 8 as well. Listen to verses 5 through 8. This is talking about Philip as well in Samaria. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So, so Philip, Philip is leaving a place where God is using him. He, he's doing healings. They're seeing exorcisms and salvations. But when God comes to him and says, go to the desert, what does verse 27 say? He arose and he went. That's such a hard thing. I can speak from experience. That's not the way my faith always works out. Sometimes I question, are you sure about that? Is that really what you want? Can you tell me why? Will I be taken care of if I do this? Uh, but not Philip, who's a picture of obedience. Philip just goes as God calls him to. Here's your first take-home truth today. God will call you to do things you don't understand. If you are serious about following Jesus Christ, I want you to know very clearly, God will call you to do things that you don't understand yet. You don't understand what he's doing now, but he will reveal plans to you. You will see what he plans to do, but oftentimes he calls us to go in obedience without knowing what he, what's going to happen. That means God may call you to a new place in life. God call, may, you to, may call you to do something hard. He may call you to do something you don't understand. But, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, let me explain something to you. Your beliefs, your desires, your wants are always subservient to what God wants for your life. God should always be in charge of your life. And if there's a conflict, he has the tie-breaking vote. What God wants for me is what I choose to do. I don't have to understand. I don't have to know why. I simply believe him. Now, in the story, um, as Philip is traveling through the desert, he comes up on an Ethiopian, which is a country in Africa. It never gives us no, or it never gives us a name for him, but it does say that he's high up in the government. And here you see the Spirit speaks to him. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and gives him direction. It says, go overtake that chariot. You need to go see what's going on. Once again, Philip's um, obedience here, he begins to run. And he runs to the chariot. And when he gets to the chariot, what he sees is he sees this man is in the chariot traveling. And look at God's timing. At this exact moment in time, he's got the scriptures open. And he's not only reading, but he's puzzling over what he's reading. So this gives Philip the opportunity the opportunity to open a conversation with him. He basically walks up to him and he, and he says, do you, do you know what that means? Do you know what you're reading? And the man's going to reply here in just a second, um, I have no clue what this means. See, Philip was in the right place at the right time, not because of anything he did, but because God put him there. 
Listen, there's a lot of times when obedience to God is going to look like befriending somebody that you don't, don't know. That person at work that nobody likes. A lot of times obedience to God is going to be loving someone who you don't know how others could love. And if we will do this, God will open doors for us to share the gospel. Listen, for the vast majority of us, myself included, most of the time sharing the gospel is not going to look like standing on a stage shouting the gospel message to people. It's going to look like daily conversations that we walk in in obedience and say, God, open an opportunity for me to talk to them about you. And over the course of a conversation or two conversations, over the course of a relationship, God opens those doors for us to share our testimony and our faith and what he knows about us. And that's what happened here with Philip. Just a conversation is going to open the door. Read with me if you still got your Bibles open, verses 30 through 35. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he, this is the Ethiopian, said, How can I, except some man should guide me? I love that. Some man. He didn't say who. Some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. Listen to what he was doing. See if you can see what God's doing. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who should declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus Christ. This is amazing, the timing of what God has done. At the exact moment that Philip overtakes this chariot, this man is studying a scripture that pointed to God. Can you see God's plan in this? What if Philip had said, I'll go tomorrow? What if Philip had said, tell me why and we'll figure it out? What if Philip had said, well, let me go kind of see if that works for me and then I'll be there. Philip's obedience instantly puts him in a position to do what God needed him to. God needed him there at that exact moment as this man was reading this. And the scripture he is reading is from Isaiah 53. He's not only reading it, he's puzzling it over it. And this is a prophecy. The whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself often called himself the sacrificial lamb. And here the scripture says he is being lead, led like a sheep for the slaughter. He says like a, like a lamb he does not speak. He is silent. Talking about Jesus' persecution. Jesus is or standing before a judge when Jesus would not answer. And his life is taken away from the earth. Talking of Jesus giving his life. But this man didn't know that. But Philip, with this opportunity, is able to come in and give clarity to the Scripture and say, listen, this Scripture defines Jesus Christ. It defines a man who we only thought we were promised of. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He came here and he died for our sins, not because he had to, but because he loved us so greatly. And you can be his for only the price of faith. I've began to learn this the longer I've, I've served God, the longer I've pastored. Philip didn't initiate this conversation. God was already doing the work, and he put Philip in the right place at the right time. See, this is not something that, that a man came up with. This is God's work, and this is why he called Philip to this act of obedience. Your next take home truth is when God calls us to do something, he has a purpose in it. 
This is an insane command. Leave where you're at. Things are going well. Everything seems to be working well. Leave where you're at. Go to a place of uncertainty. And then Philip gets there. And who does he find? He finds one man. Philip witnessed to the masses. Philip had a reputation. People were interested in what's going on with Philip. And what is this Jesus that he talks about? And Jesus says, leave all of that. I've got one person that I'm pursuing in the desert. And I need you to be there with him. But you know what I think? I think God did more in this one circumstance than he could have done with Philip in all of Samaria. Because this man was going to a land far away where the gospel had not reached. But as he comes to know Jesus Christ as his Lord, as he becomes a disciple, he will be a disciple who makes disciples. And this is God using this instance, one person to spread the gospel to a place it had not previously been. Make no mistake, God has plans for you and me. God has plans for his believers that are bigger than what we can see in this instant. You may only lead one person in your life to Christ, but God may use that one person to lead thousands of people to him. It's not about how much we can do. It's about being obedient for whatever God's plan, big or small, flashy or not, that God has for us. God does have a plan. And God will prepare that same plan for you and me. I've seen it, I've lived it, and I've experienced it. See, our goal as followers of Christ is to be Philip. What if we could be Philip? What if God called me today and said, Brian, leave Batesville, don't sell your house, give up your truck. I just want you to go to New Mexico, find the first highway north, and start walking. I would have some questions. But our goal our goal is to immediately say, yes. But Philip didn't come to this kind of faith and this kind of obedience overnight. This kind of faith and this kind of obedience is the end of a pattern of faith and obedience to what God has called us to. My daughter, when she pulled up, she's, she's uh, very brave. If, if you ever watch her, she's very not coordinated at all. She's very brave. There's nothing that scares her. She climbed up on the other day. I was told I left her unattended with my family. And they said, yeah, we let her outside. She climbed up all the way on top of the tractor. She, she has no fear. And it was like that even when she was little. And when she was little, she began to pull up on the couch. And, you know, most kids pull up on the couch and they kind of look around and they start doing the walking down and thing. Not my daughter. My daughter pulled up on the couch and said, I'm going to run over there. And then she fell. And bless her heart, because she's stubborn like me, she did that a couple thousand times. She would have been so smart if she hadn't hit her head all those times, guys. I'm just telling you. She had to learn the first process. She had to strengthen her legs and her ability to do that before she could take the next step. As followers of Christ, we're all at different levels in here, and we're all still growing into that next level. As followers of Christ, we have to strengthen our ability to obey in what God calls us now before we get to the big callings to obey that seem flashy like Philip. I would be shocked if somebody was in here like, I'll go to the desert. But you can be obedient to God and loving somebody at work. You can be obedient in God to, to making an extra hour a week to be at a place of worship. You can be obedient to God by studying your scripture. You can be obedient in the small things. So here's what the scripture says. He who is faithful in a little will be faithful in a lot. So our goal to be Philip begins with us being faithful in a little. And what I want to talk to today and what the rest of the story tells us about is the first act of obedience of any believer is that we share Christ in baptism. We see the obedience that Philip has, but I want us to look at the obedience that this Ethiopian has. Keep reading with me verses 36 through 38. 
And as they went their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Your next take-home truth is baptism is the believer's first step in obedience. I love these two men, both of them at this point in the story, believers in Jesus Christ. You see the exact same process in both of their lives at different levels. You see, Philip has faith in God. He is giving a direction or a command, and he is obedient to that in going to the desert. But you see the Ethiopian eunuch, a young Christian, minutes old probably. He has faith in Christ. He's given a direction that your first act of obedience is baptism. And he walks into that in obedience. You see this process playing out in both of them at different levels of maturity. Now, sometimes I think baptism is misunderstood. Let me take that back. I know baptism is misunderstood. Because a lot of times we look at the world and we say, well, what gets me into heaven? I need a ticket. And some people will tell you, well, baptism is your ticket. If you want to go to heaven, you better get washed in the water. But that's not correct because here's the thing. You cannot cure a spiritual element with physical things. You cannot cure a spiritual problem within us with the physicality of water. It's not possible to do that. And I want you to notice the order that we have here. This man's talking to Philip. They've had a discussion about baptized. And he says, can I be baptized? Philip doesn't say, yeah, let's go wash that sin off of you real quick. Philip says this, first... If you believe with all of your heart in Jesus Christ, then you may be baptized. See, baptism, baptism is an action based on an already inward change. Not something that gets us into heaven. Not something that we're required to put infants through to make them okay with God. Not a habit that makes God happy. This is a level of obedience once we are saved. See, baptism declares who we are and who we belong to. It's our way of telling the world and telling other believers, I'm walking away from the life that I had because I have met Jesus Christ. And it paints a very clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. Your next take-home truth talks about the three pictures of baptism. I want to talk about these three things that baptism shares Jesus with the world. Number one is that baptism is a picture of Jesus. It shows us his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We had a, uh, an example of baptism this morning. I'm so excited for Tyson. And we saw this. Think of the mechanics of what we do. Baptism is, is you are out of the water. You're standing above the water. You, you go into the water and then you reemerge. This gives us a picture of Jesus Christ as he walked the earth as the son of God living, but gave his life on a cross and was buried. But then in three days, in three days, he came back to life. So just like Jesus, baptism shows this picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. In baptism, we say, this is who, we, who I am. I choose to follow him because he is the only one who has ever walked into death and of his own power walked back out. I choose to belong to him because I believe he is the son of God. And this is why the mode of baptism is so important. 
You notice anywhere in the scripture that it talks about baptism, it'll say something to the effect of, they went down into the water. That's what this scripture said. In another place, in, in Jesus' baptism, it said that when he came up out of the water, it talks specifically about baptism by immersion. And if you understand the root word of baptism, uh, baptism comes from the word baptismo, which literally means immersed. It was a word that was transliterated, not translated. If we had translated it, it would have said immersed. It's the exact same word they use for a ship sinking when it goes under the water. And the reason that this mode of baptism is so important because it paints this picture of what Jesus did. We identify with Jesus Christ through the action of baptism. See, the emphasis here is not on the water or what we do or being washed. The emphasis is on declaring the identity of Jesus Christ and my identity in him. Secondly, the next take home truth is that baptism is a picture of a new you. It gives us a picture of the old me and a picture of the birth of the new me. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Baptism is a picture of burying me. The one that you knew, the person that you thought you used to know, that person is dead. The old Brian is dead and he is buried. And I am a new creation. I am a new person. That's the picture that we're putting off. Jesus had a discussion with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus said, to be saved, you must be born again. And this confused Nicodemus. He said, I'm an old man. I can't be born again. Am I supposed to climb back up into my mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make sense. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're not understanding. You've got to become a new creature. You have to let the Holy Spirit and God make you a new creation. And when we become saved, we are made new in Christ. And baptism is a picture of the death of the old me and the birth of the new me. I assume everybody in here knows the song Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was, but now I was blind, but now I... I love the contrast in the first verse of Amazing Grace. Complete difference. Black and white. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Complete contrast and change in who I am. Amazing Grace was written by a guy named John Newton. John Newton, at a young age, had been pressed into the British military. If you, if you don't know what that means, that's like a very aggressive draft. The government basically kidnaps you and says, you now belong to the British Navy. And leaving the British Navy, he went on to become a, uh, a, uh, a slave trader. And in the middle of his slave trading on the ship, he got caught in a storm, scared he would die. He cried out to God, and he put his faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that his life may end. But his life didn't end. And you start to see the process of him becoming a new creature in his life. After three or four years of continuing to slave trade after becoming a Christian, he said this, This occupation is not consistent with the faith and the belief that I have in Jesus Christ. 
I cannot be involved in the trade of humans if I claim to believe that all humans are loved by God the Father. He went from being a slave trader to the exact opposite. He, he went to being an abolitionist, somebody who opposes slavery and actively fights against it. He was made new. And so in baptism, what we're saying is I have killed the old me and I'm allowing God to recreate me. I've killed the slave trader to be recreated as an abolitionist. I've killed the alcoholic to become sober-minded. I've killed the hater of people to become a lover of all men. I've killed the pride-filled man to become a humble servant of God. I've killed the adulterer to walk in sexual purity. I've killed the gossiper to be a person who speaks life into others. The old me is dead. The new me is alive. That's a picture of that. Because Jesus Christ died, he gives us the ability to become new. And because he makes us new, that gives us our third picture. Our third picture is a picture of our future. Baptism is a picture of my physical death, but also my physical resurrection. See, Jesus left and he gave this promise. He gave this promise. He said, if I leave, I will come back to you. And the Bible is very clear. When God comes back, when Jesus comes back, his plan is for all that have died to wait on him will be bodily, physically, immediately resurrected and come back to life. Jesus said, if I can defeat death, if I can go into death temporarily, I give that same thing to you. And so what we declare in baptism is, look, one day, one day you may put Brian in the ground. I hope that you guys put me in the ground instead of me, you. I would rather leave first. One day you may put me in the ground. And maybe it'll be a year. Maybe it'll be five years. Maybe it'll be a decade. Maybe it'll be a century. Maybe it'll be a thousand years. But when Jesus comes back, that's the end of death for me. Because Jesus Christ gave his life and died on a cross and defeated death. Because he created in me a new creation. Death for a believer is only temporary. One day we will live with him forever and ever and ever and ever. So I want to ask you one question as we wrap up today. I want to ask you, what is God calling you to be obedient in? For some of us in here, you may be struggling with that call to salvation. So just become a follower of His. He's calling you, just accept me by faith, but you're fighting Him. If that's you, that can end today. You, you can accept Him by faith. He doesn't ask anything of you. He doesn't ask you to be perfect. He doesn't ask you to make yourself new. He says, put, my, put your faith in me and I will make you new. Uh, maybe you're sitting here today and, and that's something you've already decided. You know in your heart, you know you've got it down, you know you belong to Christ. But maybe God's calling you to obediently follow Him into baptism, to show the world who you are, to declare your identity through Him. And maybe, maybe something that we didn't mention today, Brother Danny, if you want to start coming up here, is, is something God's calling you to do. And the moment I said obedience, it popped into your mind. I've not been being obedient there. Today can be the day that you give that to God. Whatever God is calling you to do, whether it's coming to know Him as your Savior, to be baptized after knowing Him as your Savior, to be obedient in the way that you treat people or the way that you go into the world today, God has a good, good plan in it to use you for something amazing. Whatever you do, don't leave here the same way that you walked in today. Let's stand and worship, please.